and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So here's a story of a lovely lady who was busy with three girls of her own, and then there were four men living all together, but they were all alone. That's right. We're about to get head into the next movie in this series that I'm covering, which is the Brady Bunch sequel from 1996. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, you'll hear that I covered the Brady Bunch movie from 1995. And so I thought, why not just cover the sequel this next week? So I I am. If you didn't already hear from last week, so go listen. But you already know how I feel about these movies. I love them a lot. I think they're wonderful parodies. I enjoy them quite a bit. I think in an interesting way, I think this movie, the Brady sequel, a very Brady sequel is you know very much it's very much a cult classic because of like uh especially with the whole meme of the shurjan kind of thing uh that's that's something that's kind of like when you can turn into a meme you know that's always like peak cult status if you will but yeah i think this movie is also the first movie yes it's still campy but this one takes it into overdrive i feel like um and i kind of love that for it yeah it's just it's so crazy and just really leans into the Brady of it all. And and I, I can appreciate that and enjoy that. So, yeah, my history with this film is uh, I probably... Honestly, I don't even know if I watched the Brady Bunch movie first. I might have watched this first, maybe? I don't remember exactly. But I definitely remember seeing these as a child. Because, you know, why not? And I definitely watched the Brady Bunch as a show, obviously. Um, just being on Nick and Knight and stuff. But when these movies came out, I, I definitely... I don't think I saw them in the theater or anything. I wasn't doing all that. But... Um, and they were PG-13, so I couldn't technically see them without a parent, I guess. But, you know, I still remember seeing them when I was young and them having an impression on me. And now being an older adult and, you know, revisiting them and watching them again, I just love how I just love what they are. And I, I appreciate what they are in this world of, of darkness at this point. Um, it's a nice little sunshine moment, if you will, uh, of having these funny movies that don't take themselves too seriously. So I can appreciate that for what it is. But uh, as we normally do on the show, I'm not going to you know belabor the points or anything, but we will move into uh, some figures of the movie, talk a little bit about how this movie came to be exactly, and then we'll move into a plot summary of the movie. So without further ado, let's move on to those figures. So A Very Brady Sequel was released on August 23rd, 1996, and was directed by Arlene Sanford. It was written by Harry Alfont, Deborah Kaplan, James Berg, and Steve Zimmerman. It was produced by Sherwood Schwartz, Lloyd J. Schwartz, and Alan Ladd Jr. We're looking at an estimated budget of about $12 million to $15 million, and a gross U.S. and Canada box office and gross worldwide box office of $21,440,752. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 56% on the tomato meter and a 35% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 5.8 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 2.9 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Gary Cole as Mike Brady, Shelley Long as Carol Brady, Christopher Daniel Barnes as Greg Brady, Christine Taylor as Marsha Brady, Paul Sotera as Peter Brady, Jennifer Elise Cox as Jan Brady, Jesse Lee as Bobby Brady, Olivia Hack as Cindy Brady, Henriette Menchel as Alice Nelson, Tim Matheson as Roy Martin slash Trevor Thomas, Brian Van Holt as Warren Mullaney, and John Hillerman as Dr. Whitehead. This film also features cameos from RuPaul, reprising their role as Mrs. Cummings from the first film, Zsa Zsa Gabor in her last film role, Rosie O'Donnell, Barbara Eden, who's reprising her role as Jeannie from I Dream of Jeannie, David Spade, and also Richard Belzer. Some critical response quotes about A Very Brady Sequel are as follows. We have Michael Dakina from TheMovieReport.com who states, Breezy fun, but probably only a safe moviegoing bet for camp connoisseurs, Brady maniacs, and fans of the first film. We then have Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times who states, I didn't laugh much during A Very Brady Sequel, but I did smile a lot. And we have Jeff Weiss from Dessert News from Salt Lake City who states, as far as parodies are concerned, this one just isn't particularly funny. So before we move into any kind of plot summary of a very Brady sequel, I just wanted to touch a little bit on how this movie came to be. Like I think a lot of sequels that I've ever covered, I've only done really one, I guess, with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. But this movie really came to be because Paramount 
pretty much had a three-picture deal, I guess, with uh, this property. This was just a continuation of what they were already going to do for this uh, series. And so the first movie did very well, made almost like $15 million, I think, or something like that. Uh, Something crazy. And so, of course, they, like, moved into a sequel. And they literally released this, like, a year later. Like, it it was done so quickly in this, in the regard, I think it's just you know they they saw that the first one did well and then they were like oh we're making a second one of course everyone was brought back pretty much uh in the main cast uh although i will say there is a third movie that also stars shelly long and gary cole um but it replaces all of the children and also alice and it's called the brady's go to washington or the brady's go to the white house or something uh, apparently it's really bad and i don't want to watch it um so <laughs> i'm not going to i think probably what came down to that was that um Obviously, they had Gary Cole and Jelly Long. I think that this was probably because uh, they didn't bring the other people back because of money, I think. There is a fun little story. I didn't share it last week, I don't think, but I will share it this week. Um, I did mention that Christine Taylor uh, has a podcast with David Lachere, uh from... Uh, hey dude and like Sabrina and stuff and anyway they had their second episode was like literally a Brady like reunion um, with the other people from the in the movie uh, anyway so like they talk about how like there was this uh, on the first episode or on the first uh, movie I think it was Jennifer Elise Cox who happened to just see there was like a binder that one of the assistants of the director had and they um, ended up seeing how much the cast was making pretty much and they saw that literally everybody was getting paid like not as much as they probably should have um, for this kind of thing. Bobby, who Jesse Lee so far, he actually was getting paid the most, I think. And like literally Christine Taylor, I think her and Jennifer Elise Cox were un- like, they were getting paid the least apparently, which is crazy. So once they saw that, and they also saw that the sequel, you know, the first movie did good, that then um, I think they bumped up their salaries for the next movie um, so that they got more money because this obviously did well. And then I guarantee you that the reason they're not in the third movie is because of the fact that they probably wanted more money. Uh, even though I think this movie technically made less money at the box office or whatever than the first one did, but uh, and it was re- it was a little bit less regarded, if you will, which again, then I think turned it into a cult classic in a way but that's probably exactly why they didn't come back for the third one so it is what it is that's pretty much how it came to be you know and um so betty thomas had gone on to uh do other things like you know she went and was doing uh howard stern's private parts that movie and so they brought in arlene sanford uh to direct this film they also brought in it was literally four writers uh two of which are um harry elephant and deborah kaplan who we've talked about on this show before who did can't hardly wait and then also um they are the same people who did josie and the pussycats don't worry i do want to maybe do a josie and the pussycats episode at some point it might be really fun to do that because i think that movie's great but anyway i uh yeah that's that was part of what they were doing they're this like um duo uh that that wrote and uh and you could definitely see um like if you watch them like josie and the pussycats and this especially like can't hardly wait doesn't have as much of it but i do think that josie and the pussycats and and the brave very brave sequel have like a kindred spirit in a way because they're just so over the top and campy. So I can appreciate that. But, um, but yeah, I'm trying to think what else there is really, but you know, for the most part, there's nothing like groundbreaking, um, about like any of the production history of this movie. Uh, apparently Arlene Sanford, this is just from what I've kind of gathered, um, from hearing it, uh, on Christine Taylor's podcast, um, and everything about this is that, um, I don't think that, uh, Jennifer Leescox said that, uh, I don't think that, uh, <laughs> I don't think Arlene Sanford liked her a whole lot. And same thing with Alice. Uh, Henriette Mantel also said that uh, like Arlie did not like her, I guess, for whatever reason. Don't really know exactly why, but... Um, and you can see that Jennifer Leescox and Henriette don't have as much to do in that movie, uh, which is just so odd to me. But, you know, it is what it is. 
But yeah, I, you know, I think that's very interesting. But of course, like this movie comes out and again, it didn't make as much money as the first movie did. And I think it was a little bit less regarded in that sphere. But I I also think like, you know, it is so weird that there's been this like resurgence of, you know, people loving, for example, like the Shurjan um, meme, you know, that kind of came out of whatever, you know, and, but it's still just so, so great and it it gives that chance of i don't know revisiting something that is so super campy and and it's also like playing with the idea of like you know we never understood why we never found out what happened to carol's husband in the show so this actually kind of uh gives us a little bit of an answer in a way and this movie is just so not it's so like uh not grounded i think which is what kind of why it works for me more so um which i appreciate without further ado though i kind of went already went over as much as i could about um you know that information if you want to find out more information about this sequel and a little bit more about it uh and just what it was like to do it uh you can also check out uh i think it's a vox article from 2019 or 2020 i think it was where they do talk about this uh whole movie so i would definitely check that out if you want to um to just see what it was like to make this sequel and stuff um because they do talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, I'm not going to regurgitate what they talk about, so, you know. But I I would definitely go check that out if you want to find out more information. But without further ado, though, we're now going to move into a plot summary of A Very Brady Sequel. So we begin our film uh, with our Paramount logo, and then we go into this intro sequence we have in Thailand. Uh, So literally we're in the middle of Thailand with these two people who are going exploring, I guess. And so what they're doing is they're like walking through the mountains and shit a little bit, and then they end up uh, digging up this um, particular, like, they have this dig that they're doing, and they end up finding this horse sculpture uh, that is buried underneath the ground, I guess. And so So uh, they take this horse statue and they end up going back to their boat that they're going to, you know, uh, sail away on. Um, And so apparently this apparently this horse is a part of like this Tang dynasty and it's worth a lot of money or something like that. And so this is why these adventurers, explorers um, go and find it. Um, So they get on their boat and then we see the boat out at sea. And then we see that there is um, some guy who uh, I guess is sabotaging the boat. So he like cuts the cord in the boat to do whatever it needs to. And um, this guy then jumps over the boat and he swims away, I guess. And so then what ends up happening is we are then brought into um, a auction, a fancy rich people auction, and we see that there's this particular horse sculpture that is uh, now on auction and on for sale, I guess. But then we learn that this horse sculpture, there's only one of two of them, and the other uh, particular horse sculpture so these rich people are talking and talking and be like i wonder where the other one was i wonder uh, who owns it i wonder what their story is and of course who else would own it but the brady's that's right the brady bunch has this other horse sculpture and we're moving now into our brady bunch title sequence like we had in the first movie this is now just a very brady sequel that's where we get our nice little it's literally like the same thing. I'm sure they literally just either use the same footage or maybe they, cause these, these guys don't really look that different. Like these people literally don't look at all the difference, but anyway, so, you know, our, our little Brady sequence. And so then, uh, it starts just like a sitcom and we see that Jan and Marsha are coming home from school. It's the last day of school. And I think also the other thing with this is that the way that, Christine Taylor says the word school in this movie is honestly worthy of an Oscar. But anyway, so they're coming home from school and, you know, Marsha is like the most popular girl in school. And then we see like Jan has her little button or something that says something about whatever. And they're like, well, Jan, did you have anybody sign your yearbook? Um, Cause you know, of course, like um, a whole lot of people signed Marsha's yearbook and something about, uh, there was somebody who signed it uh, saying something about a, about a menage a trois. 
And so, of course, she thinks like, you know, oh, I th- that must mean that you're the most. Because, of course, Marsha doesn't know what a maginage trois is. Kids, go look it up. But anyway, so I, uh, I you see that uh, Jan, her orthodontist, I guess, like, uh, signed her yearbook. And she's like, Jan, your orthodontist isn't supposed to sign your yearbook. And then, of course, also her optometrist signed it as well. So it's just very funny and silly. We then have Peter and Carol. So Peter is talking about how he doesn't want to go to work with his dad because I guess they're doing like bring your kid to work day or something. And she th- he thinks that uh, his dad's job is boring as an architect and being like, oh, well, Bobby's dad's, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know. Timmy's dad is like a, a firefighter. So he gets to stay at the station. And this person's father is this. So they get to do this. And what do I get to do? And so Carol's all like, oh, you know, well, who do you think does? design that firehouse and who do you think designed this thing uh you know it's an architect so your job actually you know your dad's job is a very important one and all of that kind of stuff you know them having like a nice little back and forth then we go into mike and alice are talking so they are talking in the kitchen i believe um and they're talking i believe about um how they have this wedding anniversary coming up for mr and mrs brady and so um Mike is talking to Alice about it a little bit uh, because I think she's going to be obviously cooking the food for them. So uh, they're just talking about that a little bit. And then, of course, um, I think that uh, Carol comes into the kitchen and then, of course, they have to, like, shut up or whatever. Like, ooh, no. Anyway, so then we have... Again, this movie is all over the place, but then we have Greg is coming down the stairs while also, I think, um, oh, I think it was because Bobby and Cindy, oh, you also know who all these people are. I mean, they're the same people from the first movie, so I'm not going to go into who they fucking are, like, whatever. You heard my cast list. But anyway, so Bobby and Cindy, they come into the kitchen, and they're detectives, I guess, now. And so they're gonna, like, go be detectives. And so they run out of the kitchen, they run up the stairs, but then Greg is coming down the stairs, and he's just, like, too cool for school. He has his, like, little 70s outfit going on. Um, We only see so much of the real-world interaction with the Bradys in this movie, but we just still get a little bit of it. But yeah, you have this, and and Greg's all, like, too cool, I guess, and so he's talking about, like, you know, um, I don't even know what the fuck he's doing, like, he's just, like, you know, he ends up calling Mike, uh, Brady Mike, um, not dad, and then Mike's just like, hold on, wait a minute, like, you're still gonna call me dad, like, you're not just gonna call me Mike all of a sudden, (laughs) But then uh, what ends up happening is that, oh, I'm becoming a man, I'm becoming older, so, like, you know, I need my own space. And so pretty much Greg decides he's going to try and move up to the um, attic, uh, and then Marsh is wondering, like, what's he doing? What is he doing? And then... um He's like, oh, yeah, I'm moving up to the attic. And then, you know, she's like, well, I need my own space, too. Like, I'm the oldest as well. And then I love this is where we get the line of Marcia saying, there's a new thing called women's lib, Greg. You know, it means women get whatever they want. And honestly, Marcia, feminist icon. But anyway, so you have that they they both want to move up to the attic because they are both the oldest children. So, like, you know, they're like, you know what? I'm not going to move either. I'm going to move and, you know, whatever. Like, they're just, like, facing off at this point. So what else do you do to, like, help settle a decision? Of course, you're going to be challenged to make a house of cards. Okay, bitch? That's what you're going to do. So, (laughs) rock, paper, scissors, trash. You know, like, uh, pull in straws, found scalped. You know, whatever. But, like, it's just, they're just challenging each other to build a house of cards. And they're all kind of building it together. So, like, of course, the girls are with Marsha, and the boys are with Greg. And so they're, like, but they're all building the house of cards together. But I guess it's, like, whoever makes the house of cards fall first um, will lose. And then, of course, they will... um, Whoever wins will get the the attic or whatever. Anyway, so we see that, you know, Marsha's, like, putting on, like, the the card or whatever. And then, you know, everything's all fine and dandy. But then what ends up happening is that I guess somebody, I think it was Jan or something. I don't remember who it is. But anyway, somebody has grape juice at some point. Or maybe, like, Marsha or... 
I don't remember. Was it Alice who had grape juice or somebody had grape juice? Anyway, what ends up happening is that I think a, a rogue basketball somehow like comes through and like uh, it goes over the house of cards. And so like then this grape juice like falls on the horse statue that is like in their living room. And uh, of course, you also hear like Marcia say, oh, my nose. Because again, it's a rogue ball. She was burned by the last one. But anyway, so you have all this and then they're all fighting with each other now because they're like, you know, fighting with one another like oh my god we like ruined the horse statue blah 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 and so mike and carol come into the um like living room area where this is all happening and um they're like one at a time one at a time and then you know marcia's all like all right i'll go first because i'm the prettiest and they're explaining like you know we're building a house of cards because we're trying to figure out who should get the attic and blah blah blah, blah, blah. and then you know she has more things and then you know, whatever i don't know it's just all funny Anyway, so then what ends up happening is they it's decided by Mike because, you know, the patriarch of the house, uh, it's decided that they're both just going to live up there together because, you know, yeah, they should have their own space away from their siblings, but uh, they're just going to share it anyway. Anyway, so then uh, we have a our introduction because somebody knocks on the door and uh, Carol goes up or I guess Mike goes up. Yes, Mike goes up and he answers the door and it's this guy uh, who's at the door. He he introduces himself as Roy Martin, and he says that he's looking for Carol Brady and that he is her husband. And then, of course, like Carol is like dumbfounded and she falls to the floor. Uh, Roy Martin is played by Tim Matheson, who has been in movies. Um, he's like, you know, an actor. Uh, he is mostly known, well, he's well known for being actually the voice uh, as a kid um, of Johnny Quest. So he uh, did that cartoon, uh, which is kind of funny because uh, not long after that cartoon came out, of course, the Brady Bunch came around. So I'm sure they had a little bit of, uh, that kid had a little bit of influence of why he got cast uh in this role but he also is just a very good actor but anyway so you see that like roy is there and he's all like explaining like what's gone on with him and you know where has he been all this time because carol has her suspicion she's like well your voice sounds a lot different and you also look taller at all of this and so he's explaining like all of this he um is talking about because of course this would technically mean that uh the girls are his daughters then. And so he says each one of their names. He's like, Oh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, Jan. Is it Marsha gorgeous? And then he gets to Cindy. And he calls her Sandy, which I thought was funny. And anyway, so we end up having this whole interaction and they decide like, okay, well, what else are we going to do? So like, you know, we have Roy and of course, uh, what else are you to do, but have, um, meatloaf sandwiches with him as well. So they end up having, dinner with him also don't you call like a meatloaf sandwich how can meatloaf be a sandwich first off and then also don't you just call that like a sloppy joe at that point it's kind of what that is but like whatever i don't know i don't i'm not a cook but anyway so you have meatloaf sandwiches and anyway so then roy's talking about like you know oh he's coming into town so like you know i guess he'll just stay at some fleabag motel or whatever and then you know it's decided by peter stupid ass peter he's decided like oh like let's i can't Mr. Martin stay with us like and then of course like you know Mike and Carol Mike is all like oh yeah of course let's do that you could sleep in my den and then I'm like okay great <laughs> so they let this bitch stay with them is what I have in my notes they don't know him or anything but okay whatever I guess we'll just have you stay with us cool great so then so he like makes himself comfortable and then I think the girls are upstairs talking about something or other I don't remember what they're talking about oh I guess like Jan is talking about like something with Marsha and like she's feeling some way about herself because she has like her glasses and like she's got her braces and stuff like that and she just feels like real ugly right um, so she's like, I'm going to go talk to the one person in this house who I actually think cares about me. Um, but then we find out pretty soon after we find out that Roy is actually a fraud because he is calling somebody and he's pretty much talking about how like he's tracked down this horse statue to the Brady's and he is pretty much going to infiltrate their lives to get this horse statue back and be able to sell it for $20 million. So then in the meantime, like he has, uh, 
Jan has come into the den to talk to him and like, how do I get a boyfriend? And, you know, Roy is talking about like, you know, hey, maybe, you know, the only way you're going to get a boyfriend is if you make one up. And then Jan with her just uh, delusions of grandeur, uh, she's just like, make one up. Gotcha. Thanks, daddy. And it's just like, she's so unhinged. Anyway, so like then, um, oh, because of course he was like smoking a cigarette. And so like, um, he has to like throw it in like this like little pencil case or whatever. And then that sets uh, a blaze. So that was kind of funny as well. But anyway, so then, okay, so then I have in my notes, I have this iconic bedroom scene. Okay, so the oldest kids, Greg and Marsha, they have moved up into the attic with one another. Marsha is on the right side, Greg is on the left side, so they're like, you know, oh, I gotta, I gotta share my sweet pad with my sister, but then it turns a little uh, weird, because then you see that Greg is noticing Marsha through their little curtain, because uh, you only see the shadow of the person, and so then you see that, like, she's getting changed, and she's, like, brushing her hair, and, like, he's, like, interested in you know her or whatever and then the vice versa with Marsha is that Marsha's like you know starting to brush her hair and she goes one two three four 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 because she is then enthralled by her brother Greg because he's like taking his shirt off and also Christopher Daniel Barnes has a really nice body so hey I mean if he was if he was not my brother, then yes, I'm not going to have sex with my stepbrother. It's weird. But anyway, so, you know, they notice each other. And then <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of this movie, because like literally like they're both on the side of the curtain and Greg says something about like, hey, Marsha. And then Christine Taylor literally just goes, yes, Greg. And and then she realizes she's like, I mean, what? And it's just so funny. I think it's so stupid and wonderful. And they realize the fact of like, you know, wait, if if Roy is really your father and our dad is not really your father, obviously, does that mean we're not related? As if they couldn't just make that determination themselves. But, you know, they realize this and... I also like how the song, If Loving You Is Wrong, it just plays because, oh my god, stepbrother, stepsister porn at its um, finest, I guess, right? Anyway, so, weird, but it's still an iconic scene. It's really good. Just, yes, Greg. It's, it's so good. Anyway, so then you have... Oh, I think I'm talking about this breakfast scene. Okay, yeah. So there's this breakfast scene where, like, they're having breakfast in the morning. I don't know if Roy's there. I don't remember. I don't think he is, but they're like talking with one another. And so like, they're just talking about whatever, but this is the iconic breakfast scene where you have Jan decides that, um, she's going to make a, (laughs) she's going to make up a boyfriend, I guess. And so, you know, I think Carol asks her like, you know, Oh, honey, why are you not eating? Oh, did the blueberries get stuck in your braces again? And then Jan's just like, no, I'm watching my new fit. I'm watching my figure for my new boyfriend. She's they're like new boyfriend. That's news. I'll say what's his name, Jan. And then she says, his name is George. And then Marsha's like, George, what? And then she's like, it's George Tropicana, because she looks at the orange juice. And then I love how, like, Carol's all like, oh, that's a nice name. Is he Cuban? And then she's like, wait a minute, never mind. And she's like, no, George Glass. George Glass. And then, of course, you have the wonderful, iconic, you know, from Marsha. That's funny. I don't know a George Glass that goes to our school. And then, of course, like, you know, oh, because he's a transfer student. He just came in the last week of school. He's really good looking and he thinks I'm super cool. And then, of course, you get the iconics uh, line of from Marsha, Shurjan. And so, yeah, that all happened as well. So then they're off on their way, uh, wherever the fuck they're going, um, you know, because Jan is literally crazy. But anyway, so then Peter and Roy uh, talk a little bit. And so Peter is asking about, um, what is he asking about? He, like, asks Roy, like, oh, I don't want to be an architect like my dad. I want to be, like, an adventurer like you. And then pretty much Roy tells him, like, well, for you to get anywhere in life, you have to be a, you have to be top dog. You have to be willing to lie cheat steal or kill to get where you want to go that's how i made it in the big house so he's already like fucking himself over but whatever anyway (laughs) um 
So then Peter's all like, okay, thanks. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Mr. Martin. And so then um, we see the good old, we see the Brady's at the pool. Um, so the, here's the next scene we have. So they're at the pool because it is summer. And so we see that Marsha is there because uh, you have like the 90s pool. This is like their interaction with the uh, the real world. So they're at the pool. And then, of course, Marsha is there um, playing Davy Jones's girl. You already know that they did that in the last movie. So... She's getting a tan and all this stuff. And then you see Jan is there. Uh, both of them have really good bodies, too. Like, oh, my God. I'm just like, ugh, if only. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> this is Jan, like, being on the phone. And she's, like, paging the operator or something. And she's just like, hello, this is George Glass. Can you page the very beautiful Jan Brady to have her call her boyfriend George Glass? And then she's like, you will? Thank you. It's so good. Jennifer Elise Cox is so funny in this movie. Oh my god, they're so good. And then Greg is also working at, like, the Snack Shack or whatever the fuck. Um, you know, slinging those hot dogs and, like, Cokes or whatever. And then, of course, he, like, asks these two girls, like, oh, do you want a hot wiener with that? And then they're just like, ew, what the hell? Anyway, so then, so then you have, like, uh, so Jan goes up to Marsha and she's all like, you know, oh, Marsha, like, you know, uh, I think George is trying to page me. Uh, but then, of course, like, this uh, kid, this, like, guy comes up with, like, a, a boombox and he, like, it drowns out the page because they're, you know, gonna do the page for, like, whatever. Because uh, kids, what used to have to happen is you used to have to page somebody uh, and you couldn't just text them. And, you know, that's what happened as well. But anyway, so then, but Marsha doesn't hear any of it and she's just like, honestly, Jan. Um, and so, like, Jan's all, like, upset. She's sad. She's sitting on, like, a, a, a chair or whatever. And then you have our wonderful cameo from RuPaul as Mrs. Cummings. Uh, and so, you know, uh, she's like, now, kids, you behave. I'll be right over here. And then she sees Jan, and she's like, oh, hey, Jan, how's your summer? And Jan's like, it's okay, but... And then, she, you know, Mrs. Cummings, being the very caring person she is, she's like, you know, what is it, Jan? Even though school is out, I'm still your guidance counselor. And then Jan's all like, you know, oh, well, I think I'm doing, so I think I'm, I'm telling people something that isn't all the way true. And is that okay? And then, you know, Mrs. Cummings is like, you have to be true to yourself, Jan. And, you know, if you want to have a little bit of mystique to you, then child, then you go girl. It's like so good. And oh my God. And then of course it makes Jan feel better and everything. And then we have the fact that I guess Mrs. Cummings uh, has three children, uh, similar to how Carol has three children where you have the beautiful one, the middle child and the youngest one. Um, and so they come up to their mother, um, Mrs. Cummings, I guess the black version of Jan, who is like, mama, she keeps teasing me. And be like, now what did I tell you about fighting with your sister? Be like, but she started it. And she never gets in trouble. Everyone loves Moesha. Moesha, Moesha, Moesha. It's just like so silly and funny. I think it's hilarious. I also love how the one girl's name is Moesha, apparently. And I'm just like, this is so silly. Also, when you think about it, I guess Mrs. Cummings has a husband who uh, apparently can have them bear children. We don't know. We don't know. You know what? Listen, we don't put anybody in boxes here at the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. So anyway, um, but then you have Greg going up to these like lifeguards or whatever, and they obviously don't think anything of him, but like they see this girl getting out of the pool, right? And so... Greg decides he's gonna go over there and he's gonna like hit on this girl or whatever. So he like walks over and walks over, and then of course, like, do you hear that song of like she's got it again? I think you do actually. But anyway, so then he's going up to her and he's like, "Hey, foxy lady," and then ends up turning around and it's Marsha. Um, so you know they're both just like, "I gotta go again." Step step sibling porn. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. So then you have Mike and Peter are at the office. I think Peter got a present, quote unquote, from Roy earlier, which were nunchucks he brought into the office with him. Um, and anyway, so they're at the office and then like uh, Peter accidentally hits Mike's boss over the head with the nunchuck or whatever. And so, like, uh, of course, Mike is completely oblivious to it. So I'm just like, okay, great. But anyway, so then this movie is really all over the place, everybody. So, like, just get into it. Kitty Carryall is missing now. So Kitty Carryall is the iconic doll of Cindy Brady. Um, so she's missing. But, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? And so then they're talking about this. Anyway, so I also think that if I'm not mistaken... <laughs> 
<laughs> this might be the scene where like um Kitty Carriel's missing and like I think Cindy goes into her parents' room before they go to bed to like talk about how she's missing or whatever. Be like, what are we gonna do? And then they have this whole conversation about like Kitty Carriel. Uh, but it's really them talking through their own feelings about what it's like for Roy to be back in the picture or whatever. And I love how um, Cindy's all like, are we still talking about the same Kitty Carryall? And the Mike's just like, yes, yes, we are. So I just love that. It's very funny. So then we have that, I guess the parents are there, Mike and Carol. But then the the kids come in the car. They have this like red car, apparently. This like red convertible. Anyway, so they come up in there and, um, oh, because they had gone to the, they had gone to get the horse sculpture um, cleaned or whatever. And what ended up happening is that, oh, I think it was also because Alice and Mike were talking about like the wedding anniversary or whatever. And then Carol like came into the picture again or whatever. And anyway, so the kids, like, they're bringing back the horse sculpture, and they think, like, you know, oh, and then Roy's also, like, you know, oh, hey, like, you know, um, this is what's going on, da-da-da-da. Anyway, so, because I also think, again, this movie's all over the place, I don't remember everything about it, but, like, I also think, like, there was a conversation between Mike and Roy, who are, like, talking about, like, you know, hey, like, you gave my kid nunchucks today, and, like, you know, you shouldn't do that, and then he's, like, got it, I understood. But anyway, so, ends up finding out, like, what's going on with that, and so, Roy is, is adamant about trying to get his hands on this horse again, right? And so he thinks, like, oh, the horse is somewhere, whatever, but it ends up getting, um, he ends up getting swooped in with the Brady's. He ends up getting, uh, you know, caught in their Brady whirlwind where they end up going shopping with him. <laughs> so the Brady's take him kind of against his will, uh, to this new cool shopping center, which I think is literally the Grove in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken, which at that time was, I guess, new. And now it's just like old, you know, shopping center, I think. But anyway, so they go, um, shopping with him. <laughs> And it's so funny because this is like our other little like musical number that we get. We get two musical numbers in this this um, movie, which is fabulous. But anyway, so this is one of them where it's the time to change song, um, which is iconic. And so they're like dancing around the grove, I guess, and just like doing their thing. And then like, <laughs> and then Roy's there. He's just like not having any of it. He falls into the fountain as well. That happens. And he, they end up going to a literal vintage shop called Shanana. Um, and they end up getting him a particular um, like leisure suit. They bring him back home. Uh, so that's fun. Anyway, in the meantime of this, Alice is then going through Roy's bags to just kind of see whatever. And he, she ends up finding these mushrooms in his bag. And she was like, he never did touch my meatloaf or whatever. So, like, you know, that's weird. But you know what? If I put a little bit of this in his dinner, he'll probably eat my cooking. So then you have Carol getting her hair done. So she's, like, walking down the road and she's like, you know... um, <laughs> she's deciding to get her hair done and you know her hair stylist went out of business or whatever or retired and so she has to go get her hair done so we have our nice fun little cameo from um david spade in this movie uh where he plays uh sergio uh the hairdresser so like you see this montage of like hair carol getting her hair done so you have like uh david spade's there that like some bald girl is there i think too and so like they're doing her hair then Carol's all like, you know, Sergio, like, cause she's wearing this thing that's like then starting to smoke around her hair. And she's like, God. And so she's like, um, Sergio, Sergio, where's, where's that bald girl? Um, it's just like very good. It ends up that, you know, she gets her hair done, but then it ends up happening that like literally the same thing. She gets the same hairstyle pretty much. And so obviously, of course, the kids get back from shopping with Roy. And so like, and so like, you know, I think this is the scene where we get, um, Mike and him talking or whatever, because, you know, he's like, I love your says a style. Uh, you know, I have something just like that. And then Roy's just like, yeah, you're wearing it. And I think this is maybe where they have their conversation about like giving nunchucks to Peter or whatever. But anyway, so that happens. I then have in my notes, Carol and Roy talk because Carol's all like, you know, because of um, her conversation with Sergio, he was all like, you know, well, why don't you just get a divorce? And then she's like, oh, I could never. And there's also allusions to like Carol having two husbands and like, 
maybe wanting yeah anyway we'll get into it but then there's that so carol and roy talk and carol's all like you know she wants to divorce but she can't say the word and so roy ends up you know kind of taking over the conversation she's just like he he is just like you know hey um there's this horse sculpture i sent to you uh where is it and then she's all like oh it I'm donating it to my women's, you know, charity auction or whatever. Uh, because they think they also had a scene earlier where I think Cindy and Bobby were looking for something. And um, Roy ends up, what is it? Roy ends up, like, um, giving them money. Because what ended up happening was, like, this is where they found out where that horse sculpture was. That's what it was. This is before they went shopping. But Cindy and Bobby say, like, you know, oh, they kind of messed it up. They had to go get it cleaned. And so, okay, now Roy knows where the horse sculpture is. So he wants to know, like, where is it at right now she, you know carol's all like you know i'm donating it but you know what they're you're gonna start the bidding at 50 dollars, and so of course like roy is just like oh 50 dollars, got it great um so then anyway so you know he's just like all right cool i'm in the clear this is great awesome and so then roy uh they have dinner they're having dinner now and so roy uh is not eating the meatloaf, but he's eating spaghetti because um, Alice made a different dish for him. And what ends up happening is he ate, he's eating this pasta, he's eating this spaghetti, and, you know, he's eating it and he's like, oh, like, this is really good. It's very good food. You know, what did you, what did you make this with? And, um, you, Alice is all like, well, I got some of your mushrooms that were out of your bag in your room, and, you know, I put them into your, your pasta, and he's just like, oh, my mushrooms? And he's just like, oh, boy. So then we end up having our another, our fun little iconic scene that we also have in here, where it's literally Roy just tripping on mushrooms um, while at the Brady's dinner table, and so we literally have a whole animated sequence in this movie of them. It's set to this very, I don't remember what the song is called, um, Good morning starlight i guess Uh, it's like a very 60s song so roy's tripping out and he's just like i think i have to go um and then of course like he's talking about like you know i had a dream and you were there and you were there and he's pretty much dorothy at this point so he's just like knocked off his ass at this point and anyway so then um carol goes in the kitchen with alice and she's all like you know I think, like, Mr. Mister Martin, like, Roy, he just, like, you know, fell over at the table. Like, I hope he's okay. Like, you know, did you do anything to his cooking? And she's just like, no, I mean, I ate some of the pasta myself, and I'm fine. And so then um, what ends up happening is that Alice decides she's going to start to go to bed. And so she walks into the um, refrigerator, which is just makes you ascend to heaven but anyway so then anyway so i think alice comes out of the uh fridge at some point and she's just like so the light really does um shut off when you close it but then this movie's really all over the place honestly so like one of the things we have is that jan um because marcia was asking like you know hey jan like if you have this boyfriend like why does he not ever call here and then she's like I think he's going to be calling really soon. Uh, This is also the same point where, like, um, Jan got flowers for herself uh, to make it seem like she has a boyfriend that's, like, setting her flowers. And she, like, she tells the uh, delivery boy to just, you know, keep your change, keep it. Um, so that's very funny. But anyway, in this in this um, situation, though, so she decides to call a... Uh, sex phone hotline to make it seems like she's talking to someone on the phone um of course and so then she's just like talking and talking and then she has marcia come downstairs and she's like do you want to talk to my boyfriend george and then she's like takes her uh the phone and she's just like hi george this is marcia you know jan's older sister and she's talking to this person and be like, you'll have to come out from New York and it'll cost extra. And so it's a menage a trois or whatever. It's very funny. Anyway, so Jan, uh, she's busted. And, you know, Marsha finds out that she's actually been calling a, like, sex phone hotline, I guess. Anyway, so, yeah, that happens. And then Greg and Roy are talking as well. So Greg goes to Roy after he's, like, uh, waking up from his, like, trip. He's asking him about, like, you know, I have this chick I think is really groovy and, like, you know, but I don't really know if I can be with her. And uh, Roy just gives out his worst, his bad advice. Um, anyway, so then I guess, like, Peter, yeah, so Greg's just going to, like, go after Marsha, I guess, is what's going to happen. This is weird. 
Anyway, so then Mike and Peter, they're at this construction site of one of Mike's, like, designs or whatever. And so Mike and Peter are at the construction site. I think it's that, like, um, Peter, I guess, decides to, like, you know, be a dick to some of the, in Brady fashion, to some of the workers at the construction site. And Mike is all like, you know, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you, like, why are you talking to these people like this or whatever? And then Peter's all like, you know, oh, well, Mr. Martin told me, like, you know, I have to be ready to lie, steal, cheat, and kill or whatever um that's how you make it in the big house and then peter's and then so mike's all like what do you mean by that like i don't quite understand that and so (laughs) mike's uh boss he's like mike i think he means prison and so he's like okay that's kind of weird and then mike's like you know hey like you know uh keep an eye out on peter i'm gonna like go and try to like figure some stuff out because i have my suspicions pretty much she's like he never mentioned anything about like Roy never mentioned anything about going to prison or anything like that. So Mike's going to go investigate. And then uh, we see that Jan and Roy are. Um, so Roy is trying to get over to this auction, I guess, because he knows that this auction is going to be happening for the, the, um, the horse sculpture. And so then um, <laughs> Jan decides that she's going to go drive him there. And so, you know, it's like Jan just like going and driving and she's a horrible driver. She doesn't know how to really. And so she's just like, Oh no, I lost my contact lens. And you know, she knocks into like this fire hydrant. What an unexpected rainstorm. And Jan really just needs, she needs help. Everybody, but like, I love her so much. But anyway, so then we see that, uh, somehow, some way with Jan, not killing them, I guess he ends up coming to the auction and so the auction is going on, and so he's trying to, like, get this horse sculpture, but we see that good old uh, Jean-Jacques Boer, who is there with Rosie O'Donnell in a uncredited cameo, uh, we just see there, and they're playing themselves, so, like, Jaja is literally Jaja, and Rosie is literally Rosie, so, like, it's just, this movie is unhinged, everybody. But anyway, so then they're, like, dueling with each other to, like, you know, whatever, and Jaja ends up winning the, the horse sculpture because she wants it so bad um and she has more money i guess technically than than roy does but what ends up happening is like roy pretty much takes that horse sculpture he ends up you know he ends up taking it from jaja gabor i guess and anyway so then there's a in my notes i have that jan and marcia talk and so they're i don't remember what they're talking about they're talking about Oh, they're talking about how, like, Greg is going out with Kathy Lawrence. Oh, and then I'm going out with this person. And so, like, you know, these are people who would be totally against the other one. So, like, Kathy Lawrence beat out, you know, Marsha for head cheerleader. And then the guy that she's going out with um, is the guy who beat out, you know, Greg for baseball or basketball, I think. And then um, class president or whatever. So these are all things that are just coming from the show, I guess. Anyway, so then, yeah, you have Jan and Marsha. They're talking with each other. Roy and Carol are talking about something. I don't remember what they're talking about exactly. But they're, you know, they're trying to talk with one another and probably having to do... Oh, actually, you know what it is? I think they're probably talking about um, this horse sculpture or whatever and how um, Roy, I guess, got it from Jaja um, and whatever. So, you're like, oh, it must mean something to you, right? And and whatever. So that in the meantime, with all of this as well, Mike then ends up going to the police station, uh, the LA County Police Station, I guess, where you just have this kind of Law & Order-esque thing going on. You do have Richard Belzer there, who is like the chief guy rest in peace by the way he's now passed away but he's there which is kind of funny because he was on law and order so like it makes sense that he'd be in here and he's talking about like you know oh hey like you know i'm trying to find out about this guy um who's coming to our lives and like i need you to run a background check on him or something and then um richard belzer's all like oh it'll take three weeks or whatever be like well if i'm gonna start this i need something to dust prints off of what do you have and so uh we see that mike has the nunchucks so he's like can you use these so then while mike is going and being a detective uh marcia and greg go on their dates respectively so but what ends up happening is that like so Greg's date and Marsha's date, like, they're together, and we just see that Marsha and Greg are more into each other than they are their dates, and then, like, um, Greg's date's all like, you know, get me out of here, leave, I want to go, take me with you, so it ends up being really weird, 
uh, and kind of creepy. And in the meantime, as well, we see that Jan um, shows up to the same Java Lava or wherever the hell they're at. They, they that she ends up there too and she is with her boyfriend george and george is like a literal mannequin and so she just like comes in there with like this mannequin and she's like sitting with him and it's really weird and very odd she's like oh george a kiss in public there's something wrong with jam brady everybody in this movie and she needs help please contact your local something or other i don't know because she needs some help she's not with reality y'all but anyway so then um greg and marcia's dates they leave with each other and then greg and marcia leave with each other and then jan leaves on her own too and apparently people just thought it was like um performance art that they that she was doing which it really does seem like that anyway we're um coming up you know quarter of the way through the movie and anyway so um or we're halfway done we see that Cindy and Bobby, they're going snooping through the garage because they're looking for Kitty Carryall. That's the other plot point in this is that they're looking for Kitty Carryall and they're snooping in the garage, but then ends up Cindy finds Kitty Carryall. But then Bobby's like, oh, hey, like, you know, I found this thing. And what ends up happening is they find out. Um, so Bobby, being a detective throughout this whole movie, is finding out that there's a picture of the assistant to Roy, whose name is Trevor, and that actually looks more like Roy does. Uh, so they're like, oh, I think this guy is actually, you know, this guy. So, of course, they share that with the other kids, and the kids find out about Roy. Uh, I think what ends up happening is that, like, you know, um, we have this moment between Marsha and Greg in the a- attic where they talk about, like, you know, Oh hey, like you know, I'd want I'd watch you score any day, and it just gets really weird. Uh, and they're about to kiss actually, but then the other kids like come up to the attic where they're at, and they're all like, you know, hey, we found out about Roy. We found out about Roy. Like you know, he's not who he says he is. And so then they're going downstairs, and pretty much like Carol and Roy are going to be talking about something or other. But then what ends up happening is that the kids tell Carol about Roy and then Roy is all like, you know, actually your kids make sense for once. Um, and so, um, what ends up happening is that he shows his evil plan of like, I'm going to like take this horse and I'm going to sell it for $20 million to this guy in Hawaii. And you know what? If nobody wants to get hurt, like, you know, <laughs> um, you're all going to like cooperate or whatever. And so he kidnaps Carol and takes her with him and he ties up the rest of the, um, the family to the stairs as you do. And he also, when Alice comes into the picture or whatever, and like, he says, you know, they're like, Alice, watch out. He's got a gun. And then he says like, and I'm not afraid to use it, especially on you. I don't know what Alice did to him. That was so bad, except to like make him trip, I guess, but whatever. So then you see that, um, Roy like ties up the, the family to the literal stairs and then you see each one of them like are um each one of them like has their own little internal monologue uh so like you know bobby's all like if i had been a better detective like you know i could have you know seen mr martin for who he was this is all my fault and so all of them have like this is all my fault even Kitty Carriel has one where she's just like, I'm sure you wouldn't tie me up if I was Barbie. This is all my fault. And so then I love also, of course, we have the um, Jan saying, it was wrong to make up George Glass. This is all my fault. And then, of course, Marsha is just like, this is all Jan's fault. Um, and so that was always wonderful. But then they're like, oh, before that, they're like, oh, you can't take my mommy. Like, you can't take, you know, this person. And then, of course, the kids just, like, offer up Jan, obviously, because, you know, but he didn't want Jan. Anyway, so then Mike comes back home. He's realized all about um, Roy and all of this. And so they're deciding, all right, well, what we're going to do now is we are going to uh, head to Hawaii and we are going to try and stop him. And so, like... They do that, so, like, Mike leaves somewhere, and then the kids are all like, hey, can you help us, Dad? Like, we need to, like, get untied so we can go to Hawaii. But anyway, so they end up going to Hawaii, so they're on the plane at first, and then Marsha forgot her hairbrush, so, of course, they had to go back get her hairbrush and then, you know, uh, go on their way to Hawaii. And so they're on the plane, 
I think we might also have like a little scene as well where um, you see Roy and Mar- um, Carol in Hawaii and they're like renting a car or something like that. And this is also where like Carol's trying to like needlepoint her way to safety and she's like home sweet help, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> anyway, so that's all fun and dandy. There's also like gay jokes in here where like, you know, um, oh, I wish I was gay, you know, and whatever. They don't know what that means, obviously. Again, I will say that I think the Bradys would have been for gays. I'm just saying that. But anyway, so we see that uh, the Bradys are on the Bradys and Alice are on um, the flight to Hawaii, and we see that Marsha's like brushing her hair and all that. And so then uh, they end up going into like you know, oh god, like this is so horrible. Like what else could we do to cheer ourselves up? And we got our second musical number of the movie, which is to Good Time Music, which is actually a banger of a song. And so they're like singing and dancing on the plane as you do. And anyway, so then. They're singing throughout the aisles and all that kind of stuff. And so they make a whole production of it. It's so good. And then the flight attendant is all like, can I have your attention, please? Will the people in the aisles, please you know, stop singing and shut up. And so they go back to their, um, they go back to their seats and all that, but they're now cheered up at least. And so then you have, uh, the Brady's arriving in Hawaii. Um, they're getting lays from the, um, the Hawaiian folks who meet them at the airport and they're all getting together and they're like, where's Marsha? And then she's like, uh, Cindy's all like, you know, Oh, she's over there getting laid by those Hawaiian boys. And so that's always very hilarious and funny. So you have that. And then you have that they arrive there and they're kind of going all on their separate ways um, to go look for uh, Carol and, and Roy. So then you have like Mike is in a boat being, you know, he's like being rowed to like look for his wife. And then Alice is doing the same thing but she falls in the water and then everybody like i said is kind of like splitting up and doing their own thing to try to find uh these people and we also get our um you know jan is like looking for for her mom or whatever she's like have you seen this woman and whatever and so she actually uh finds a guy by the name of george glass and george glass is there with his family vacationing in hawaii and then you know they meet or whatever and they like fall for each other and in love it's nice so yeah, you have that, and then um, you see that I think Sydney and Marsha are like walking along the beach, kind of, and so um, Cindy's talking about like Kitty Carryall or something, and like whatever I don't remember. But uh, then we see that Greg is like um, surfing uh, on the you know the waves, and he crashes. Oh no! And so they have to save him, and then of course like Marsha took a life saving class at the WYCA. But anyway, so you know she gives uh, CPR to him, and then. I think it's also like, you know, when Greg realizes that it's his sister that helped him, he says like, I gotta go. Something suddenly came up, which is kind of funny. It was from the last movie where obviously he's getting a boner for his, his stepsister, I guess. Again, this is pretty much stepsister porn at this point. But anyway, so then we see that Roy is driving and Carol and him end up with a flat tire. So then they end up having to, <laughs> they have to end up walking, I guess. So like all this time though, she's been letting her yarn or she hasn't realized it maybe that like her yarn has been like um trailing her all this way so like that's actually how the the family they find it and they follow it to a certain point but carol pretty much escapes roy and she ends up being able to um end up at a place by dr whitehead is his name he's this like rich dude who lives in a mansion and she ends up finding um her way through a tunnel i guess and she ends up getting to his house i guess dr whitehead is played by um uh, john hillerman john hillerman in his final film role um he was from magnum pi which is funny because there's magnum pi music that plays in this so obviously they knew who he was and so the Brady's are walking through hawaii again trailing this like yarn that carol has left or whatever and they end up finding they end up figuring out where else it could be you know and um what ends up happening is that Roy ends up uh, going to this mansion, so he's there, because Carol has already gotten there and, like, had told Dr. Whitehead about what's gone on. And so Roy ends up at the mansion. He's going to be, like, giving this to 
Dr. Whitehead and he's going to get the $20 million and all that. Um, but Dr. Whitehead has, has found out about Roy. He's not going to sell it to him um, and all of this. And so, like, we somehow find out that I guess the Brady's and Gilligan's Island are somehow, like, mixed because we find out that Dr. Whitehead was actually was actually the father of Gilligan, I guess, from Gilligan's Island. Uh, and then, of course, like, Carol, I guess, was married to the professor. And so that's why they all went missing. I don't know. Whatever. This movie makes no sense. But anyway, so then um, we see that the Brady's are there. They found um, Carol and Roy. Um, and so... Roy is all like, you know, I'm going to, he comes up to uh, Mike and he's just like, I'm going to kick your Brady butt. And then Mike is all like, hey, you've done this, this, and this. But when you use that kind of language in front of my children and my wife, you know, there's going to be a problem. And so pretty much uh, Mike ends up like knocking the fuck out of, uh, out of Roy. He's about that smoke. He's about that life. Anyway, so then um, we see that he punches him into the pool and then Roy's just like, okay, I give up. And so then ends up uh, Roy gets arrested, I guess, and is taken away. And so the family's all reunited back together. It's so nice. And so then, you know, so like <laughs> Dr. Whitehead is like, I'll give you this, you know, for this horse statue, I'll give you this for $20 million. And then Mike's like, well, thanks for the offer, but we're going to decline it. Right. And so that's all fine and dandy. And then he's like, I have to respect your decision, but like, I, I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't upset me, you know, or like, you know, that I don't get something from it. I wish I could get, you know, I wish, you know, I had something to give you or whatever. And Cindy ends up giving him Kitty Carryall, um, because all this time she was so worried about her doll this time, but like now that her mommy's back and whatever, like Kitty Carryall doesn't even really seem like anything anymore to her. And, you know, I think you should have her now. And then Dr. Whitehead takes her and is like, thank you, Cindy. I will cherish her like she's my own. And we then see that, um, so like Cindy's all like, or, um, Carol's all like, you know, oh, Cindy, you're growing up. And then I love this is where Cindy's, uh, Olivia Hack, uh, her actor, the actress who plays Cindy, she, uh, says something of like, to the effect of like, you know, Oh, she's growing up so fast. And then she says, I certainly am. And she doesn't have her lisp anymore because she's had a lisp throughout these two movies. Um, and then, of course, like, Jan's all like, hey, everybody, Cindy lost her lisp. So they're like, oh, Jan. And again, it's all, like, crazy. Anyway, so then we end up back at the Brady house because all of this time they were doing this wedding anniversary. They're going to renew their vows. And so we have this wedding ending where we have George has come to the wedding with Jan and Marsha and Jan talk. And they're like, you know, they're just finally getting to peace and lovely and whatever. We see Marsha's new barrette that she was talking about. Love that. Just all that good stuff. And yeah, everything is all peachy, dandy, keen, wonderful. Um, and then we see that they're going to throw the bouquet of, of, you know, flowers. And so Carol, um, you know, has the girls, like, they're going to be catching the bouquet. She throws the bouquet and then it ends up on the driveway, right? And we end up seeing that somebody comes up and they pick up the flowers and then they all come over and they're like, hi, who are you? And then we see that it is uh, Jeannie from I Dream of Jeannie, uh, Barbara Eden herself. And she's just like, oh, hello, I'm looking for Mike Brady. And be like, well, who are you? And then be like, I am his wife. And so then we have this whole thing of, I guess, uh, Jeannie is now part of this um, canon as well, or at least somehow part of this. And uh, end title sequence uh, with the animation from earlier when Roy was tripping out. But yeah, that's pretty much the end of the movie. And, and that's the end of a very Brady sequel. So wrapping up with this, you know, needless to say, I think that this movie is um, is so unhinged and so weird. Um, but that's what I kind of love about it. I think that this movie it goes way deeper into the camp of it all with this particular movie series. I think at least the first one, um, you know, had this kind of like at least grounding in like you know, oh, okay, this is the reality of like you know '90s Los Angeles, and then this is the Brady's, um, and how does that kind of mixed together but then in this movie that's still sort of there but not even really like it feels like they're almost in their own little world uh, in a way 
And so I think that's really fun. But I think also just like the little pokings of like, you know, not realizing, not realizing what the term gay means and thinking that gay means happy and it doesn't just mean homosexual and stuff. Like, I think that's very funny because um, that kind of makes for some, some funny comedy, I feel like. Again, these movies are not all that mean, which is really nice. And so they're really... Um, you know, they're just really fun and, and I'm glad to have covered them. And, and, uh, these are such, I think for a lot of people, myself included, like they're movies that just make you feel really good. I think they give you a certain level of nostalgia, uh, for something, you know, a time where, yeah, the Brady Bunch was showing on TV, um, and, you know, in syndication more so. And so the fact that they made two movies from it, you know, that are kind of received well and, and all that I think was really, really nice and really fun. So, and I think that these movies are just perfect parody really. Uh, and, and they really do a good job at poking fun at how ridiculous the Brady's are, but really also just like how ridiculous this culture was at the time, I guess. And it's now a fun little time capsule of the mid nineties, um, which I just think is really cool and is like, so boss. So, I I think I don't think you can make movies like this anymore. Um, I don't think they have the same charm um, sometimes uh, when it comes to especially these kinds of like setup properties. So yeah, I just I really like them and I think you should give them a watch. Uh, in regards to where you can watch them now, sometimes it comes up on Prime. I will say you can rent it if you'd like. So it is on there. Um, I know the Brady movie I think is streaming. It streams on Prime sometimes and sometimes the sequel does as well. I would definitely rent it though, if if anything. I also have the Blu-ray of this, so I have the two uh, the two movie collection of these both, so I can watch them wherever I want. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that if you are a fan of parody movies, if you're a fan of just comedy in general or just like campiness, I definitely think this is something you should watch um, and and give a shot to because uh, you know I don't think you'll regret it. I think it'll be a fun time. You don't have to think too much about it. Um, and you can just enjoy, you can just enjoy the ridiculousness of it all and, um, and just enjoy yourself wholeheartedly. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you'd like to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd just like to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the show on Instagram at cultcinemacircle and on Twitter at cultcinemacircle. I tend to announce the movies that I'm going to be covering and just interact with people on there if they want. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On that platform, I tend to log the movies that I watch, I write little stupid reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 2004's 13 Going on 30. After total humiliation at her 13th birthday party, Jenna Rink wants to just hide until she's 30. With a little magic, her wish is granted. But it turns out that being 30 isn't as always as awesome as she thought it would be. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, this is all Jan's fault. Take care. Bye. Bye.